Take your Bibles with me, and I want you to do something. Go to 1 John 3 and go to John 13. Those fancy ribbons you have in your Bible, let's put them to use today. 1 John 3, and then find John chapter number 13. 1 John 3 and John 13. Trust everybody's had a good week. I'm excited uh, to preach this morning. I believe a much um, needed thought as we continue uh, in 1 John this morning. I believe a much needed uh, challenge for all of us here. I believe the message today, we embrace it. I believe it, it changes us, but I believe it literally can change an entire community, uh, even world. It just makes the world a better place. I think you're going to see what I'm talking about. Let's look at 1 John 3 this morning, beginning at verse number 10. 1 John 3, beginning at verse number 10. It says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So a question to get our minds working this morning, how do you know that someone is a Christian? How do you know that someone is a Christian? Now think about as we think on that question in our minds, all of the things that we may be tempted to point to. Giving, rules, maybe outward appearance, things that we that we participate in. There's a number of things that we may would point to as we think about how do you know that a person is a Christian? How do you know they're a Christian? The theme of this chapter in John's epistle is that this, that God's children love one another. God's kids love each other. You notice as you read this epistle that John keeps returning to basically three main topics, and that is love, obedience, and truth. But he's not just merely repeating himself as he returns to these topics he's already missed, because each time he brings it up, he mentions a new aspect of this particular topic, another point of view, uh, maybe a deeper understanding and meaning. We've already learned that our love for one another as believers uh, in the previous chapter, we've learned about this idea of loving each other. And the aspect that he talked about in chapter 2 was that on fellowship. A believer who walks in the light will evidence that fact by loving the brethren. But here in chapter 3, the emphasis is on his relationship with other believers, his relationship. See, Christians love each other because they've been born of God. They've been born again, which makes them family. That's why we say brothers and sisters in Christ. In our text last week, we learned that a true believer lives holy. They practice righteousness. And this week, we look deeper into this matter of love for one another because the true believer, the person who's been born of God, loves the brethren. So I challenge everyone here today to listen to this truth that we're going to look at from God's Word as God speaks to us about love. Now go with me to John chapter number 13. Look at John 13 with me. I 
John chapter 13, we saw in 1 John 3 that John begins by saying, by, by this, and this is the message. I've titled the message today, By This. How do we know somebody's a Christian? By this. By this. Look at John 13, 34 and 35, and we cross-reference 1 John 3 to go to the words of Christ. As John references the message that you've heard from the beginning, well, here's the message. Here's the message that John is talking about. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Here we have Jesus in the upper room before his crucifixion and resurrection. He wants his disciples to grasp the importance of Christian love. He gives them three important aspects of this love that I believe will help all of us this morning. He gives them the mandate, he gives them the model, and he gives them the ministry. Jesus confirms that through the practical outworking of this love, others will be convinced that they are his disciples. You know, and no doubt in John 13, he's speaking directly to the disciples in, this, in these couple of verses, but this is just as relevant for us today as it was for them back in the first century. Because why? We are 21st century disciples of Christ. And so this applies to us. I want you to notice, number one this morning, there's the mandate. What is that? Love one another. The mandate, love one another. 1 John three eleven, in the epistle, he said, This is the message we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The command to love one another, was it new? Because Jesus says, I give a new command to you, to love one another. Well, the answer is twofold. It's yes and no. Knowing that God's law had already stated back in Leviticus 19 that it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But then he says, I give a new commandment to you that you love one another. It's new in the way that Jesus was commanding us to love one another here in John 13. To love one another as Christ loved. Would you agree with me this morning? would be revolutionary in the church and in the family, in the community. This is what God was calling his disciples to do. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, this love is beyond ordinary. This love is beyond ordinary. The Greek word that Jesus used in our text for love is the word agapeo, and it's the chief word in the New Testament for love. This word uh, was not used by classical Greek writers, but appears in the Septuagint and the Greek version of the Hebrew Scriptures. In its various forms, it occurs some 300 times in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit endows it with new and higher concepts. Agapeo or agape is used to describe God's love for us, and Paul used this love, this word for love in his great poem, in 1 Corinthians 13, that we're going to close our message with today. This is a high love that God is calling his followers to love others with. A sacrificial love to love other people with. Y'all remember the woman called in adultery, called in the very act of adultery. What did Jesus do? He loved her. When the religious people of the day were wanting to condemn her, Jesus loved her. In fact, he began writing on the ground. Y'all remember, Jesus stooped down and began writing on the ground. We have no idea what he was writing, but some scholars, uh, they, they, they speculate that maybe Jesus was writing people's names. Because, of course, did y'all believe Jesus knew everyone's names? And that he was writing their sin underneath their name. Because, you know, Jesus knew all their sin too, didn't he? In fact, there may have been some men in the crowd that were going to stone this woman that had slept with her. So Jesus, this woman condemned by her community, by the religious crowd of the day, Jesus loved her. 
You who have no sin, cast the first stone again. You know, it's, it's easy uh, to say love the sinner, hate the sin, but how about we love the sinner and hate our own sin? Somebody say amen. Jesus loved her. How about the people with leprosy? Others wouldn't even touch, touch them. They were outcast of the community, and they were made to walk around ringing a bell, announcing they were unclean and banishing them away to colonies. Yet Jesus moved amongst them, touching them and healing them. Why? Because he loved them. How about the deaf and the blind and the paralyzed? They were all ministered to and loved by Jesus. Others considered them cursed by God. Yet Jesus shows they are loved by God. Isn't this an amazing fact of the love of God toward humanity? Now I believe there are people right here in our own community, maybe right here in our own church, who maybe are 21st century untouchables, but they are in direct need of the love of Christ. They are in need of someone to reach out to them and love them. And we as followers of Christ are the, one call, are the ones called to engage them with this amazing love, out of the ordinary love of Christ. There are people in our community who are shunned by other people, they're gossiped about. They're made light of, and they need the love of Christ. Look, I'm sure there are men in our community who are struggling with anger, who are to the point of being physically violent, and maybe they have been toward their wives, toward their kids. They need help, they need somebody to show them the love of Christ. There are marriages that people are at, men and women are at the end of their rope in their home and in their relationship with their wife, heading toward divorce. Somebody needs to demonstrate the life-changing love of Christ to that couple. There are addicts in our community who are giving their lives, wasting their lives away because of an addictive substance. There are young people who are addicted to substances and their parents feel all alone in this life because they have no one to talk to and certainly don't talk to anybody at the church about it. They need somebody that they can talk to. They need somebody that will show them the love of Christ. There are alcoholics in our community who have lost family and jobs who cry themselves to sleep every single night of their life. They need somebody to show them the love of Christ. There are families who have children that are sick, not sure if they're going to make it or not in our community. They need somebody to show them support and the love of Jesus Christ. The love of our young people are attacked, and aren't you thankful for our young people? I'm thankful for our kids and our teenagers. Their lives are attacked on all sides. And instead of us being frustrated and complaining and critical about them, how about we reach out to them, take them under our wing, and show them what the love of Jesus is. But shouldn't we above all people, as Christians, be engaging with those who need the love of Christ? Shouldn't we above all people be the example of the love of Christ to the world. So a question you have to ask this morning, are you becoming more like Jesus? And a great way to tell is, am I crossing over into the lives of people whenever I have a real opportunity to show them the love of Christ? Look, are you prepared to make a difference? I'm telling you, church, we get a hold of the love of Christ, and maybe we just need a, a revival, if you will, in our spirit and our heart about what Jesus has done for us. Because when we get a hold of the love of Christ, I really believe our little church can shake the entire community up with the gospel. Can we become the hands, the voice, the ears, and the eyes of Jesus in our community? So question, and I want you to write this question down in your notes. Who am I avoiding? Who am I avoiding? Who do I shun? We see that this love is beyond ordinary. But I want you to notice number two this morning. 
Now look, we can't miss this. This love is beyond ordinary, but this love, listen, is to be given to one another. It's to be given to one another. From me to you, from you to me, this love is to be given to one another. Now notice in our text, Jesus is actually calling us. Look at John 13 again. He says, by this, by this. Or I'm sorry, verse 34, a new commandment I give you. What does it say? That you love one another. That you love one another. That you agapeo, sacrificially love each other. We who call ourselves Christians. You know, and sometimes I wonder when the skeptic, when the lost person looks at the relationships of believers, they think, what a joke. And by the way, I've had somebody tell that to me before. What a joke. When they look into the church. Look, there are people that won't come to our church because of relationships amongst professing believers they have seen within the church. Not just our church, but other churches. Look, I know skeptics and lost people sometimes look at our relationships like, that's a joke. I get along with my family better than y'all do. <laughs> you know, And so th- they have no desire to come here because they hear of all the drama and all of the stuff. What a joke. The church is full of, listen, listen, the church is full of broken people. Is that true? We are all flawed, broken individuals. And whether we admit it or not, that's exactly who you are. You are a flawed, broken individual. And it's into this framework of flawed and brokenness that God has called us, that he called his disciples, that John alludes to in 1 John 3 as he takes us back to this message. It's into this framework we're called to love each other. With all the flawed and brokenness, we are to love each other. Look, if we're going to be in our community, reaching out with the love of Christ, would you agree that it needs to be practiced here? How can we love the broken out there if we can't love the broken in here? This love is to be given to one another. This love is beyond ordinary, Jesus says. But then we know that this love will experience opposition. John alludes to this in our text in 1 John 3. Verses 12 through 15, he says this. He says, Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He said, Don't be surprised, brethren, when the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You know you're saved because you have a sacrificial love for the brethren. That's how you know you're saved. He who does not love abides in death. Hey, would you agree that we really need to take what John's saying seriously? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. John gives us an example of the life of a life of hatred. You find the, the record of the event in Genesis chapter 4 of Cain and Abel. They were brothers and they had the same parents. They both brought sacrifices to God. Look, church, Cain is not presented as an atheist. He's not. He's presented as a worshiper. And this is the point. Children of the devil, listen to me, masquerade as true believers. They attend religious gatherings as Cain did. They even bring offerings. But these actions in and of themselves are not a valid proof that a man or a woman is a a child born of God. The real test is love for the brethren. Love for their sisters and their brothers in Christ. And it's here that Cain failed miserably. We know, John said, we have passed from death to life because we do what? We love the brethren. Look, we see the mandate this morning. That is, love one another. Directly from Jesus, the message we've heard from the beginning, love one another. The model, notice number two, the model, even as I, Jesus said, have loved you. Even as I have loved you. 
Now, it's important for us not to be mistaken because the world has so skewed our mind of what love is. Isn't that true? From Hollywood to uh, social media to all of the authors, our mind has been diluted as to what real love is. Jesus is not wanting to see some superficial love amongst everybody here. We are to love, he said, as he has loved us. And that love was demonstrated at great cost for 24-7 right up to the cross and beyond. And how many would say today, I'm thankful Jesus died for me and paid for my sins on the cross of Calvary. Why? Because he loved me. He loved me. A superficial love, it was not. But isn't it true that's what we see in the church and we often see it propagated in the church? Sometimes we mistake peace and harmony for love, and it's not. A church where no one ever gets upset with each other, a place where everybody pleases everybody, a place where there's always a smile and never a problem with a thin veneer of love. Jesus is not calling us to that. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying us to put on an act when we're at church. He's not saying us to kind of just mask up when you get to church and never deal with anything. He's not saying, he's not calling us to a superficial love. Like, I know what it's like to smile at somebody. How you doing, man? Doing good? Yeah, doing good. And you walk away from there and go, what a jerk, you know? (laughs) That's not what he's calling us to. What Jesus is calling us to do is hard. And it's beyond any person here's ability this morning to practice it. That's why we need him. It's beyond our ability, which is why we depend on Christ. What he is talking about us practicing, love one another. He's saying, look, I'm the model. As I have loved you, love each other. Look, this is revolutionary. This is a love that the world does not know, that one cannot possess apart from Christ. How many are thankful that Jesus' love is unconditional? Hey, do you exhibit that towards your wife? Hey, what conditions does your wife or your husband have to meet for you to really love them? How about your kids? Hey, isn't it true we often find what's wrong with each other before we find what's right with each other? When's the last time you found something right about your spouse or your kids? See, the love he has is unconditional toward us. He had unconditional love toward the disciples despite their individual flaws. Hey, look, isn't it amazing to know that Jesus knows everything wrong with you and me? Everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows if you're thinking about lunch while the, the preaching's going on and what you're going to have and all that kind of He knows all that. He still loves us. His love is unconditional. Consider the bunch of messed up disciples on the night of Passover found arguing amongst themselves in the upper room about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Confused and disturbed about Jesus' departure. Hey, consider Thomas the skeptic, yet Jesus was patient and finally revealed himself to Thomas. Met him right where he was at. Simon Peter was emotionally unstable and given to fits of rage. Y'all remember, he's the one who cut the, the, the soldier's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, put your sword up. And pick the ear up and put it back on the guy. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. The Bible tells us he began cursing. Yet Jesus loved him. (laughs) James and John were the sons of Zebedee. And they placed personal interest above loyalty. And were prone to being too judgmental. Yet John was called the disciple that Jesus loved. And they both became pillars of the church. Philip was always questioning Jesus. He was the analytical mind in the bunch. Always questioning Christ. Levi associated with the enemy. Matthew associated with the enemy, Rome. Yet to all of these men, Jesus invested his time, his energy, his love, pointing them in the same direction. How about Judas Iscariot? 
who've betrayed Christ and gave him up for death. You never see any mistreatment from Christ toward Judas, but the same treatment that he gave the other disciples. Why did Jesus love them in this way? Because Jesus could see the finished product. You see, Jesus saw what, what, not what they were, but what they could become. He loved them unconditionally. Jesus invested three years of his life with these men, despite their failing. Many failings, he loved them. And he never said, I'm done. Hey, can I ask everybody here a question, just an honest question? Aren't you thankful that Jesus has never said, I'm done with you? Then why in the world would we ever say that about anybody in our life, no matter how hateful they are to us? Why would we ever say that if the love of Christ dwells within inside of me, who's forgiven me of all of my sins, who's given me a home in heaven, who's washed me clean, who still puts up with Luke every single day in the struggles that I battle, the failings that I have. Why in the world, if I'm so thankful that Jesus is never done with me, why would I be done with anybody in my life? Because that's what the flesh wants. That's what the world says. And we often buy into this philosophy. I'm done because such and such doesn't meet my expectations. I'm done. They keep failing me. I'm done. I'm so thankful Jesus isn't like I am sometimes. I want you to notice 1 John 3.16 back in our text. Look at 1 John 3.16. We know love. Here we go, these two words again. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So what does this tell us this morning? Understanding the the model, we are to love as he has loved us. We've seen that we are to love despite others' flaws. He loves us despite our flaws. But I want you to notice, secondly, love is an attitude that reveals itself in action. Look, love for one another is more than just some warm, fuzzy feeling we might have for someone we love, but it's an attitude that reveals itself in action toward other people. It's a love and action towards others which acts despite the personal hurts received and the flaws of others. It's a love that keeps reaching out, that keeps pursuing. Aren't you thankful the love of God keeps pursuing you? Can I ask you a question? The first time you ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be saved, did you get saved in that moment? Some may have. But I can tell you I didn't. I put it off for a while. And boy, I'm so thankful the love of God kept pursuing me. He kept pursuing me. You see, love is this attitude that reveals itself in actions. We act on behalf of others. We pursue them despite personal hurts and flaws. It can be seen in helping others when it's not convenient. In human nature, our flesh is when we like to help people when it's convenient. If I got it, I can mark it in on my calendar, good. I can, I can do it. I can make it happen. This kind of love is seen with giving when it hurts. Devoting your energies to the welfare of others before yourself. This type of love is seen like Christ by absorbing hurts from others. Y'all remember what Jesus did? All the hurt he absorbed, he never fought back. He never defended himself. He never tried to jerk the whip out of the guard's hand. He never tried to, could Jesus have freed himself? Absolutely he could. He never fought back, never defended himself, never complained. This love is seen in forgiving, by forgiving other people. By supporting and encouraging each other. This is what it means to love as he has loved us. 
Guys, I was so in love when I got married. Can y'all believe I actually had this mentality? <clears throat> I had this mentality. Me and Amanda, we'll never have a fight. We're never going to get upset at each other. We're never going to have a fight. Because I love her. <laughs> and truthfully, before we got married, I, we, I don't remember. She might get crazy. I don't remember us arguing really over anything before we got married. Other than, you know, that kind of, I love you more than you love me cut stuff. You know what I'm saying? But I, I seriously, I went into marriage thinking, you know what? I wasn't prepared for the arguments that would happen. You mean Luke and Amanda have arguments? Well, of course. It was unrealistic to think that we would never argue with each other because we love each other. Look, to love each other does not mean being in a church where everything's always wonderful, peaceful, and no problems, or where nobody ever gets upset. Look, this is not reality. This is fantasy. That's a fantasy the devil wants you to believe. To love one another means that we will persevere in loving one another. I'm thankful that Amanda perseveres in loving me because sometimes I know I'm a jerk and I can be hard to get along with. And I'm thankful that my wife continually pursues me even when she's upset with me. Look, when we get upset with each other in the home, what do we do? We sit down and we talk about it. We work through it, right? That's what, that's what we should do. We, we don't avoid it and sweep it under the rug. We sit down and we talk about stuff. And what happens is... You come out on the other side stronger and better in your marriage. I'm thankful I, you know, I had that model in the home. Mom and dad have been married a long time. I'm thankful for them. Look, we persevere in loving each other despite our flaws. Through the ups and downs, we forgive. Hey, look, has Jesus ever stopped forgiving you? No. You know, I find it interesting in the model prayer that Jesus said, as, as the disciples were wanting to learn how to pray, Jesus told them, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who trespass against us. Jesus has never stopped forgiving you. And, and, and there are some strong statements made about if you do not forgive that we got to pay close attention to. Look, as we love like Jesus, we are able to forgive. We're able to choose to move beyond the offense. Aren't you thankful in Hebrews it says that he remembers their sins? Jesus remembers our sins and iniquities no more. Very literally, because we know Jesus can't forget anything. He knows everything. Jesus chooses to no longer hold sin to our charge. Unforgiveness is a prison we live in because we want to execute judgment on people that is not reserved for us to do. That's up to God. He's called us to forgive like Jesus has. He says, love as I have loved you. We see the model. You know, I got to think about this this week. Maybe this is a terrible... Let me share a couple of verses with you really quick. First, First Peter 4, 8. Above all, everything Peter could have mentioned right here. Above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because Peter knew firsthand love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs four twelve. Solomon, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all wrongs. How many wrongs? covers all wrongs. Again, this love's revolutionary when we get a hold of it in our lives. And by the way, it's freeing, it's liberating. Your life will be healthier, you'll be happier, you'll be in a more positive attitude, you'll have a greater perspective and outlook on life if you get a hold of the love that God is calling us to here. I've been in many ICU waiting rooms, many. I've been in many as a pastor, as I've been with families who have a loved one in the ICU in a room that's struggling for survival. I've been in the ICU room as a daddy. Y'all know that. As, as Landon fought for survival. I've been in many ICU rooms throughout these last nine years and even before growing up in a pastor's home. And one thing I figured out about an ICU room is in that room, there's really no strangers. There's really no strangers when you're sitting there. 
It's a place where if you really pay attention, you notice people begin helping each other. People begin being there for each other. They may have never met in their life, but they are in that moment. They're, they're some praying together, some sharing together. There's no distinction of race or class. Vanity and pretense vanish in the ICU waiting room. Everything focuses on the next doctor's report or the next telephone call. Here is in this anxious stillness, it becomes clear. Now listen to me. It becomes clear that loving somebody else is what life is all about. Why does it take an intensive care waiting room to teach us to forget the irritations of life that are so petty and meaningless and just bottom line stupid and love somebody? May God help us to love like Jesus loves. Somebody say amen. May God help this place be like an ICU waiting room. Where we're there for each other. Where we're helping each other. Where we're loving each other through all the junk of life and not criticizing and complaining about each other. May God help us to embrace the love that Jesus has for us. As he hung on the cross, Jesus had every excuse in the world. He was innocent. He was not guilty of your sin and mine. He had done nothing wrong. Nothing. And was dying for your crimes and mine that were committed against him. And he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. May God help me to be like that. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He says, as I have loved you, you love one another. And the sacrificial love. Look, are you loving in this way? And I want you to notice number three. We've seen the mandate, love one another. We've seen the model, as I have loved you. And I want you to notice the ministry. By this, all men will know. That you are my disciples. By this. Look when we love one another like this. It will enable us to move. That love outside of these four walls. Into this this community of ours. And be a convincing witness to everyone around us. Of what Jesus has done. In our lives. Look being loved is the most powerful motivation in the world. And don't miss what I'm about to say, but our ability to love is often shaped by our experience of love. We usually love others as we ourselves have been loved. And some of us grow up and we're not loved very well. That's true. We come from a lot of brokenness and hurt and heartache. But aren't you thankful for Heavenly Father that loves you in a way that no other person ever could love you? And because of that love and that motivating factor of love, that experience of love, we can move out of that and love others in the same way Jesus says. The Apostle John, who's writing this, had experienced the immense love of Jesus towards him. In fact, he was often referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, when you read the Gospel of John, you read the epistles, you'll notice there's a great emphasis on love. In fact, John is the one who described, he said, God is love. He could witness to the love of Christ because he had experienced it in the personal way. And I think our love of other people, may God help it, may the Holy Spirit convict us, because our love of other people may prove no matter the religious practices in our life, may prove that we do not know Jesus because we've never truly experienced his love for us. That's exactly what John is saying. You see, because Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, the experience of love of Jesus in someone's life leads to a ministry of love in their life toward their family, toward their church family, toward their friends. The experience of the love of Christ changes a person. It doesn't eliminate the struggle of life, but it changes a person. How many remember Columbine High School? Anybody remember that? I think I was 15 years old when that happened. I had gone through playing a video game and turned my TV off, or I got through, turned the video game system off, and the news was on, and I remember I got glued to the covers that was going on. I remember how, how rattled I was as a 15-year-old young man to see the chaos that had been created in that school by these two young men, Brian Harris and Dylan Klebold. Then I'll never forget hearing the story of a young lady after the fact by the name of Rachel Joy Scott, who, if there's a movie out now about her, about her life, and, and the movie depicts her struggle because she had the regular struggles of teenage life, who she was going to serve, who she was going to be. You see the partying, you see the boys, you see all of the things in high school that young people are battling today. And she got in trouble and her mom sends her to her aunt's house and God used her aunt and her cousin to reach her with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she prayed and asked the Lord to save her. And after the Lord saved her, not everything in her life got completely better. There was still struggle and temptation that she had to work through in her life. But she was so consumed by the love of Christ, she began writing things in her journal. She began using uh, kindness and compassion in her life. And she said that compassion can be like a chain reaction. And you never know how far a little kindness will go. As love motivated her in her life, God began to change this young woman. Why? Because she had experienced the love of Christ. And through all the struggles and the temptations, God was using her to reach people. She would get victory over temptation in her life. She became someone in that school that people recognized as someone that, that loved them, that was kind and compassionate. When the gunman arrived on the campus that, that day at Columbine High School, she was sitting with a young man who wanted to talk to her about a family situation. His parents were divorcing. And he asked her, can I talk to you? And they agreed to sit down at lunch and talk because he knew she would listen. She would give him compassion. And she knew, he knew that she loved him. And as she was talking to this young man, that's when she was shot. A young girl, 17 years old, consumed by the love of Christ and began to exhibit that love toward her classmates. And stories are told of those that she was able to reach, those that had began attending the local youth meeting that she would go to. After she passed on the back of her dresser, her parents turned the back of her dresser around. She had made some scribbles as an eight-year-old girl in her dresser, and she had traced her hands. And she had written on her hands as an eight-year-old little girl, these are the hands of Rachel Joyce Scott, and one day these hands will touch millions of people. God was working in her from a young age. When she gave her life to Christ, she was so consumed by his love for her that she began to exhibit that love for others, and God used her in a big way to reach people. Look, Jesus did not say, by your giving, by your rules, by your outward appearance, by your position, by your status. He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Go with me real quick. We're closing. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at this quickly. 1 Corinthians 13. We're just reading it. I'm not expounding. We're done. 1 Corinthians 13. As you're finding it this morning, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read this and we're going to have prayer. 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. By the way, 1 Corinthians 13 was not written to married couples. It's often used at weddings, but it was not written to married couples. This was written to the church. 1 Corinthians 13 says, verse 1, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. 
Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Again, that's not written to married couples. That is written to you and I toward one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, God, for using your word to speak to me this week. And God, I just thank you for your love toward me. And God, I want to represent that love to others. Lord, all others, even those, uh, Lord, who, who try to persecute me or, or enemies, people who say things falsely. God, I want to love them the way you have loved me. And God, I know I can't do that on my own. And I pray, God, that you would help me each day to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, because that's the only way that we can love as you have loved us. And so, God, help us today to be revived in your love. Father, I thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen, amen. Something we're going to do today a little bit different. I want you to reflect on the message today. But rather than having an altar call, I've just asked them to come back and lead us in this song. And there's a, there's a phrase in this song that says, I will build my life upon your love because it's a firm foundation. How many of you agree we need to build our lives upon the love of Christ that he has displayed toward us? Let's sing this out this morning as we close our service.
are dismissed.